0: yoga teachers, mindfulness leaders, and energy workers. Are you ready to stop side hustling and start making an income doing what you love? Welcome to the Marketing Off The Mat Podcast. Each week, your host, Jessica Cross, dives into conversations with successful creatives in wellness, business, marketing, and more to uncover practical methods to take your business from A to B and have some fun along the way. Grab some tea and pull up a seat. Let's dive into this episode.
1: Welcome back to the show. It's Jessica Cross. I'm so glad that you're here. You are in for a treat. If you've ever wanted to create a course or maybe you have created a course and you haven't had a lot of success with that course, Rachel Scott is your girl. You are going to absolutely love her. She has such great energy and she's such a joy to talk to. This episode is jam packed. So If you're driving, feel free to keep driving, keep your eyes on the road. But if you're listening to a place where you can grab some notes, um, grab a pencil to take down a few of the things that she suggests, I highly recommend it. Rachel Scott is an author, teacher trainer, and and instructional designer who supports teachers and studios to build excellent trainings and online courses so that their people can share their passion, build their businesses, and inspire more people to practice yoga. You are going to absolutely love her. And you might just be ready to promote your course or your next course after this episode. So let's dive in.
2: Hey Rachel, how are you? Hello, Jessica. I'm good. How are you doing?
1: I'm so good. Thank you for being here today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm, oh, I'm just so excited to, to learn more about your journey and how all of that brought you here to today and in the seat talking with me. I'm just so excited
2: to learn more about you. So how did it all begin? <laughs> how does that, yeah. so are we going now are we going back to ancient history like <laughs> yoga practice like the first yoga class I walked into like taking it all over back
1: yeah tell tell me tell me how you found yoga and then how that kind of folded into okay. what you're doing right now yeah
2: yeah well we're going back to the age of the dinosaurs so. <laughs> <laughs> no or, or or almost pre-internet we're going back to 1998 so I was a uh, an actor in uh, New York City and I was totally stress case. So in the yoga world, um, we would call me Vata deranged, you know, just like high anxiety kind of person. Um, and you know, my boyfriend at the time was practicing yoga and he was like, you have to check this out. And I was like, okay, I'm into it. And so I went to my first yoga class and I loved it. And I think one of the things that I loved so much about it was, uh, because so much of my life at that time felt stressful and performative. I felt like I had to be perfect, show up in a certain way, look a certain way, act a certain way. Just as a human, I think we all experience that. But then I was also in this acting world, which can be so, so judgmental and kind of toxic. And the map was a place I could just show up and be myself. And I didn't have to be perfect. And it didn't have to be great. And I could just sit there and breathe. And that was so wonderful. Then yoga became a a part of my life from that point forward. And about three years after that, I went to grad school, came back. And I was like, you know what? Um, I love yoga. My friend Mindy, she was taking her yoga teacher training. And I was like, Mindy, I am so jealous of her. And I thought, oh, I'm so jealous clearly I want to do a yoga teacher training. It was like, so I took my first yoga teacher training and I loved it. Like so many of your people out there too. I'm sure those who are teachers, some of the reasons that we take a teacher training, not necessarily to teach, but just because we, we so want to do, we just want to know more about the philosophy. We're so curious about where yoga comes from. We want to know more. And so from that point on, I was hooked. I did Uh, I did a 500 hour, then another 500 hour, a 200 hour. I did tons of continuing education. I was in New York city. um, And that was really lucky at the time because there was a a lot of yoga there and people coming through. Um, And then I moved to Vancouver, Canada, which involves a tragic divorce story, which we shall not dive into at this time, but it got me to Canada and I was there and I started actually becoming a teacher trainer for yoga works because my passion is education. I love teaching because one of the things that happens is when we teach, obviously we learn. And I just loved being in the room with people who really wanted to get deep. And so then I was hired by a wonderful yoga company up in Vancouver called Why Yoga, which was a coast to coast yoga company. Um, Then they, I started off as a studio manager, but they, I was like, you know, I love teacher training. And sure enough, they needed someone to come in and run their teacher training department. And so I went in and I became the director of Teachers College and created their 200-hour program, their 300-hour program, a bunch of con-ed programs. But then I thought, then I had this revelation, and this was kind of the, the, a change point for me. I was taking online courses, and I took an online course with this amazing yoga teacher. I love, love, love him. But the online course was really hard to take. I don't know, if you have ever taken a course like that? You're like, I want to learn this, but this online course is really just like killing me. Absolutely. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? There's got to be a better way because I, I created this teacher training, but then I had to go back and revise it a lot to refine it and kind of fix it. And then I was like, you know what? In this online course, we're, we're going towards online. I know we are, and I want to do this skillfully. So there's got to be an art and craft to this that I don't know that could make me better at this. And so that's when I went back to school and I got my master's in instructional systems and learning technology. And, you know, I did it, you know, on the fly. I did it like 6 a.m. in the morning. I'd go to the coffee shop, do my schoolwork, and then go do an Ashtanga practice and then like go to work. Um, but I got my master's. And what that taught me was that there actually, there is, there is a process for creating for instructional design. There was actually a design process to creating great education. And then I was, and then once I did that, I was kind of like, okay, great. I want to not only, it was great to help Y yoga. I love them, but I want to take this out to our community. So I became a consultant and moved my work towards helping teachers and studios create education and also create online instruction. So I wanted to really bring that out to our community because we don't necessarily have those skills, right? Why why would a yogi who's an expert at yoga and loves yoga necessarily know anything about instructional design? I certainly didn't. And I thought, Hey, I can bridge the gap for people and help us become more skillful about how we share what we love. So there it is. There's the trajectory. Uh,
1: That's so good too. I kind of, I love how all of those things kind of led you to where you are today and you just kind of, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to take this opportunity and then, oh, interesting, I have this interest that I really, really want to know more and how I can serve teachers whose genius is the, the practice and sharing it and not necessarily building these and create these crazy 200 hour plus courses or delivering these workshops online or whatever it is that it's like, there is a method to this. And you sought that out because you're so passionate about filling teachers cups up so they can do this too. I love
2: it. (laughs) So good. Yeah. I call it catching lightning in a bottle. Usually what makes yoga teachers great is not necessarily that they're structure thinkers but that they're tapped in they're intuitive they're organic thinkers a lot of the time they're passionate about having like they're somatic people they're kinesthetic people in their bodies and while some people you know can do that and run an excel spreadsheet for others it's kind of like that's a foreign language so how do i take what i know this lightning this magic of this experience and then especially for online which needs really good structure. And how do I capture that in a bottle that can be then digestible by my students? So it's like, yeah, like, how can we do that? So that now online is so amazing because so many people around the world who live out in the, you know, in the rural areas or don't have access to studios. If we do this well, like they have access to really great training now that they can do online. And now that's much more kind of in our environment. So, so yay, but we do, we want to do it well, right. And not just kind of half-ass it or, you know, let it be messy. So there's a way to do it, as I kind of say, with integrity or do it skillfully, um, you know, that just can make a big difference in how people are able to take in that information.
1: Yeah. That's it's so good. I mean, I'm sure too. And I, I don't know, maybe, you know, this stat. I don't know what it is, but I know a lot of people, love to purchase courses and they dive in and they think they're like, oh, this is going to be so great. And then once they kind of see how it's outlined, they either can't keep up or, you know, it's not easily digested and they just kind of quit. And I think as teachers, of course, we see courses as a way to supplement our income. But the end of the day, we want people to have this knowledge so it can transform their life in some sort of way. So it's not transforming if they're not finishing it.
2: You are so right. This is so huge. Like the big, um, massive open online courses, you know, like Cornell or whatever they run, you have hundreds of thousands of people signing up for them. I think, I think the stat, at least when I was in school was like 5% finish. Ooh. Yeah. Because, because the courses aren't, the courses are designed for you to be in school and you have to take it. But if it's Mm. voluntary, and this is the thing that we don't always think about with our students is that when they're an online student, they have like babies clinging to them, like trying to make breakfast, trying to run a job. It's late at night when they're studying. So the way that we approach that delivery of content, and I love what you said, Jessica, about digestible, that is so important because students, we need to maintain their motivation. And there are skillful ways that we can do that and creating a course that you throw out there that just runs on its own and you never show up in it, that is not the way. So we have this myth about online courses being, um, we're like, oh, I'll just create this and then I'll just get some money. And I mean, I started out that way. I was like, this is great. I'll just put my brain in a vat, throw it out there and then people will just take it. It'll be great and I won't have to do anything. And that's actually, I've discovered actually more after school that that is completely not the way that I wanna run my courses. And it's not the way that students respond to courses. So it's so myth number one, everybody out there, if you're creating an online course, you're going to have to show up for it. It's like, you know, my master's was all, I was actually all online and, but my faculty were just as busy as they would have been for a regular course. Cause there's discussion boards, there's assignments, they're showing up, they're participating, they're present. And so an online course is a, is another tool and Yes you don't have to recreate the wheel you can save a vast amount of time and effort by doing something pre-recorded but we still need you there we still need our faculty to show up and be present with us so yeah so that's that's a huge part of making them these courses successful
1: yeah i i love that it's like you you have this I don't know, vision of just, as you said, putting all of your brain into a vat and then selling it, you know, vat by vat, <laughs> and then being able to, to parse information out and actually get people to adopt it into their practice or to whatever it is that you're specifically teaching. And then you found that that's not true. And I, I, can even, I can even think of the courses that I've purchased personally. I mean, I'm sure everybody's listening. We bought a lot of courses since 2020. We had, we had some time and, and it, was, it was great because we had access, as you were saying, once things really moved online to teachers and practices and all kinds of things. It's like, I've taken classes from everybody. Like, I'm so into this. But at the end of the day, the ones that I actually completed are the ones where the person was present with me.
2: Yes, it makes a huge difference to have what we call like, you know, faculty student interaction. And <clears throat> I mean, we can, there are strategies that we can use to make our courses far more successful online, um, you know, and that's one of them, like that we show up, that we're present, that the students have a personal relationship to us. That's something that helps increase their motivation. It allows us to give them feedback, which is super important and is the challenge point it's absolutely possible to do online, but it's just one of those things we need to think about how we convert that. Like when I'm in a classroom and I'm like, oh, Mary looks bored. Like, I <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> or I'm like, Philip looks confused. I have this in the moment thing where I can see them, but online we have to create these little pit stops where we are checking in with students virtually so that we can evaluate whether or not they're really getting that information. Mm. So yeah, so there are super, There are definitely strategies and faculty to student interaction is a huge one. Mm, I love that. That's so good. I love how you put that as like little pit stops
1: or checkpoints as they're kind of going through is, is one way. So so what are a couple of other ways that you would share for teachers who are learning and listening in on how to put their course together? How would you suggest they keep their students engaged to make sure that they're really absorbing
2: this information? That is Okay, I'm so excited about that question. And there's a lot. So we'll just see what we come on, let's do it. (laughs) Okay, so one of the ways, um, one of the important things that we have in instructional design is something called, well, let me start at the beginning. And there's something that I call the great mistake. And this is, if you guys take one thing away from this, this discussion, this is what I hope you take. So as, a, as yoga teachers, we think like experts. We love yoga, we know a lot about it. We're practitioners, and we have, you know we're passionate. So that's what I call an expert. In order to think like an educator, we have to make a little shift in our thinking. So an expert thinks like brain in the vat. I want to give you my brain in the vat. I want to give you everything I know. Your learning is about what I tell you. That's how experts think. It's about what I tell you or what I show you. Now in order to be an educator, we have to reverse our thinking. Instead of it being about what I tell or show you, great education is determined by what the student can do as a result of their experience with you. So instead of thinking about what I'm inputting to you, I wanna think about what the student's output is. And it's a change. It's like, instead of thinking about my side of it, I wanna think about what is the performance outcome I want from the student as a result of this course. And then how can I measure that? And when we do that, it, it helps us make things more digestible because it helps to clarify what I actually need to give them in order for them to be able to produce that performance. So just as an example, like let's say that I'm doing um, a course on cueing, like how to cue well. And I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, so what do I want the students to be able to do as a result of their experience with me? Well, I want them to be able to cue a yoga pose to a group of their peers online virtual um, using direct language, cueing from the ground up and cueing to common misalignments. That is a super specific performance outcome that I want for my students. And it's not about what I tell them. It's about what I want them to show me. So when I know that that's what I want, then I'm like, okay, I guess I have to teach them, you know, how to teach on Zoom, I have to teach them what direct language is, I have to teach them what from the ground up is, and I have to teach them how to address common misalignments. And if I do that, they're gonna be able to put those pieces together. And then I think to myself, oh my gosh, but I so want to tell them about like the chakras and how the chakras are related to every course. And I can go, no, no, Rachel, that is not related to the intended performance outcome. That is really cool, but do not give them that. Do not give them everything in your brain because it's too much. So it helps us be digestible when I think really specifically about that performance outcome. So that's just like, that's number one. So you guys, when you're thinking about a workshop, even a class or a course, start with the end in mind. Say, what do I want my students to be able to do? Make it really practical, something you could measure and see them do, like in the moment. Like not something they know or understand, but how can they demonstrate that skill to me? And you will just put yourself right on the right track. So that's, you know, that's that's the place to start with any of this. Um, and then the other thing about online that I really want to emphasize that's huge, in addition to that faculty interaction piece, which we could talk about how to strategize that a little bit more, but it's assessments. So because I can't see Mary's, you know, boredom or Philip's confusion or whatever, I need to set up those pit stops um, or those assessments along the way. Now, online, we have lots of options like, A really, all the learning platforms have this, is like a multiple choice quiz. Now the quizzes are not, we have to keep in mind that these assessments are not about me testing the students or judging the students. It's about, it's, it's twofold. It's to make sure that I'm reinforcing key points of information. So the student goes, oh, that's what's important. Just in case I missed it, this is the important nugget I need to take away from this particular lesson that I just got. So it's a way of reinforcing that, and then also testing as an educator, hey, did I do my job? Are they really getting the point that I need them to get? So that's a really good feedback loop for us because if you know what, if all the stu- if all the students go through my course and all miss the same question, it's not them, it's me. So I need to fix my course, right? <laughs> so setting up little, you know, little bite sized assessments along the way before you get to the end will let you catch Things that are unclear as you, as they go through, um, and there are different ways you can do those assessments. You might have students self-assess. So, like for yoga, one of my favorite ways of doing it is I say, okay, um, you know, say I'm doing this cueing course, right? I'll say, okay, I'll give them an activity. I'll say, video yourself teaching Warrior Two using direct language, right? Do go ahead. And then they do it. And then I give them like a rubric or I give them a feedback and I say, now go back and listen to yourself, evaluate. Did you use any crutch words? What were they? How many times did you start with an ing word, like lifting your arms up rather than lift your arms up. So, you know, I can give them those benchmarks. So they become better self-reflectors and they can actually start to give themselves critiques, right? So that's another way that we could do self-reflections, but really anything just to confirm, Hey, are they getting it? What's the big point? How are they doing? And you know, to do that a lot along the path.
1: Mm, that is so helpful. I'm I'm just thinking how much A I want to be in your courses because you're, you're just so good at I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know, like, I'm jumping in, uh, drinking the Kool-Aid for sure. It's like, this, this is so good too, because I love the way that you said, because sometimes I think when we go back to our, you know, our early school education, we think of quizzes and I bet somebody was listening, immediately got anxiety once you said the word quiz. It's not so much for, for the person, the teacher to be assessing the student and, you know, are, are you good enough at what you're, what you're learning? Are you, are you, but it's more like, actually, are they absorbing the point? Are you doing your job? And not, not a judgment upon them, but to maybe make sure if you need to further clarify a certain nugget of information, it's more about that. So, yeah. so good. And I think, too, like, I would love to know a little bit more about how you suggest your teachers who are putting out courses do these check-ins. Like, how are they present as, mm-hmm. as the course facilitator?
2: That is a great question. And this is where I kind of like, I have my instructional design fantasy. I'm like in an ideal world, this is what it would be. And then there's like in a pragmatic world where you're running around to teach your, you know, 20 classes a week and trying to navigate your life. This is what it, this is what it should be. So my, my personal avenue for this, I'll sort of just jump to the end, which is, this is how I do it in my courses. Usually I will have a lot of pre-recorded content with those automated quizzes or self-reflection things. Um, And then I'll do like once a week, for example, I have a course called how to create an online course where I bring people through this whole process and it's a six weeks course. And so they each, they do like a lesson plan and activities on their own. And then every week we meet. And we, and they kind of have tasks for that. It's like, okay, come and bring this. And this is what we're gonna be working on. And that's a way for me to see their work and give them feedback. So there are some things that are a way to save our time as teachers. For me, I use those meetings to give personalized feedback because I feel like the peers connect, they each learn from each other. And then I'm giving them feedback kind of publicly. So they all kind of get the information and it happens in the moment. To me, that is a far better use of my time and our time than for each one of them to send me their information and have me like grade it, or for to have individual meetings. I want everybody to learn together. So I use those in-person sessions for when I wanna um, you know, be in communication with people about their trouble points, what's going on, and give them advice and criticism and feedback on their process. So that's what I do. I like, I like the, the model of they do some work on their own and then we have weekly meetings. Um, Another version of that that I do is uh, like, it's a theming course, like the art of theming. And again, it's like they do work in modules and then we have a meeting once a week where they bring in the activities that they've worked on and share them with their peers so that they both get peer feedback and also feedback from me. And again, everybody gets to listen and hear my feedback to them and also kind of see, oh wow, they did it that way, that's different. So I feel like that's a great way to do it. And I can still front load a lot of pre-recorded content, saves me tons of time, they get lots more value. And one of the benefits of an online course, which you know, is that students can rewatch videos right? And re-see the material. So for people who need to hear things more than once, which is like, oh, all of us, it's really valuable that they can go back and be like, oh, I missed that point. What was that again? And then they have access to that rather than, um, you know, that just being, uh, you know, something I say in a meeting. So things like lectures or places where I'm giving information, that's the stuff I'm going to pre-record because that's the stuff I want them to be able to have access to, be able to listen to multiple times. So that's kind of how I would Break it up, but you can do it different ways, of course. Um, but that's kind of like that's my that's my classic scenario, I'd say. That's
1: a good classic. No, that that makes a lot of sense. And I think, as you were saying, that the folks that are listening, teachers out there, you know, wellness professionals, they are going from class to class, client to client you know, it, they, they really do need to front load this work in order to, you know, maximize their own time. And then, you know, for the student, that's the biggest impact is, you know, being able to rewatch or, you know, as you were saying, maybe they've got a baby and, and food in one hand, and they need to hit pause for a second and come back when they could actually be present and, and actually have the chance to absorb that information. That, that's a great advice.
2: Well and one thing I'll add to that too is that I used to and I tried this. This is the one where you say I'll, I'll just put it out there and we'll see who takes it. It'll be great. Okay. The reason that that doesn't work um just putting the you know how they put like the evergreen courses out there sign up anytime. I don't like that model at least for my community because my community is busy as you know they're busy. So unless you say this is the start date. This is when this this experience is happening. They're going to be like, "Oh, I could do it anytime. It's never going to happen." Or I'll start it, but, oh, there's no check-ins or deadlines, so it's never going to happen. But when I say it's happening for six weeks, it starts here, it ends here, they go, okay, can I fit that in my life? And, oh, it's, this is when it's happening, so I need to sign up. So the benefits of that are that you cut through some of that um, slack of their lives, which is like the noise of their lives, so that you give them a firm start date. Um, they can actually set aside time to do it. They know it's a start and an end. And also, um, it gives them, it gives you the benefit as a trainer of putting them together and having peer to peer interaction. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing people love is like creating community and that's going to keep them more accountable. You know, it's going to help them finish. If all of a sudden they have a buddy and they're all supposed to do their assignments, are they going to let their buddy down? They might let themselves down before they let their buddy down. So it helps keep people accountable and on track. And also like part of the awesomeness of being online is that, Hey, you could connect with somebody from Portugal or from Australia or from a different part of the world than you. And you get to kind of make these connections between people. So I'm a huge fan of like specific start time, specific end date so that you can, you know, create more of that community within the course.
1: Yeah, and and just the accountability for the student signing up, as you were saying, it's like, well, I can just sign up whenever, whenever I have the time, which we all know is a myth. <laughs> like, you gotta make the time and and really commit and prioritize the ability to attend and actually get something out of a course, especially online, so much more difficult, I think. Um, So I love that, you know, you have a a firm start and end date people. And also too, that feels a little bit, again, we go back to digestibility. It's like, I can put that on my calendar. I know that, Hey, yeah, it's going to be a little bit busier for these six weeks, but you know, it's temporary. So I'm going to make the most out of it. I think that's really great.
2: Well, let's talk about digestibility for a moment, because I feel like this is a really uh, a really key point, and I think that word is perfect, because students, I, I say, again, and this is just sort of my personal sweet spot, I say like no more than five hours a week in your course, unless they're getting a certification and they can take off like two weeks of work, again, baby on hip, frying an egg, you know, it's just not going to happen unless they unless it's like feels manageable because we want them to feel successful. And so I worked with a client recently who is amazing. They're amazing, they have so many resources. And one of the first things we had to figure out when I went into their to figure out their online courses, was like, you have to pull stuff out. There are so, and even if they make it optional, oh, here's additional resources. If there's too many students feel like they're failing if they don't do them all. So you have to simplify your course in order to make it and so students can feel successful because when they feel successful like oh i was able to finish the course content for this week then they feel motivated to carry on and if we overload them they're just going to bail out on us so i say no more than 5 hours you know because that's that's a big chunk of time as it is so less is more sometimes which is hard for us because again as experts we're like i want to give you everything here take my yes. brains it's so generous but yeah we have to pull back in order to actually take care of our students
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I love that too. Cause as you said, we all have these, these full hearts where we want to share every little bit of knowledge we have on alignment, queuing, or, or, you know, whatever is about the chakras. And it's like, oh, we go so deep and we know we're like, I know they're going to love this, but at the end of the day, they're not going to finish it if they can't get through the content in a, in a reasonable amount of time, as you said. So that's
2: that's exactly right. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So good. (laughs) Oh, so less is more, less is less more for more sure.
2: Are. Here's another pro tip for you guys out there, especially as yogis. Cause we love again, and you're so right. Like it comes from the best place. So we just have to watch that because it's so well-intentioned. It's so loving. It's so loving. Okay. When you're creating your videos and this is going to sound, might sound crazy to some people, you really don't want them to be longer than six minutes unless it's a practice or something like that, which is like an experiential thing. If you're doing a content video, like this is what a chakra is or something like that. Six minutes is pretty much your max. And that doesn't mean you can't create, you know, eight, six minute videos. And so whatever, but you want to chunk your content into those small little bites. So again, person with baby and whatever, and their attention span and their ability to navigate. It's like, that's the little piece I take in. So I take in this little chunk of content. I apply it to something. This is another way to increase their motivation is when you have them apply the knowledge to something that's relevant to them. Then they're like, oh, like if a teacher is taking a course and you're like, okay, direct language, this is what it is, write out a script. And how would you teach this pose using that? It's like, have them apply it to their lives. Um, And when they apply it, then it integrates them. And then you can test them on it. They're like, here's the little multiple choice review on that right? So you want to chunk your content into little small manageable bites. They can really get their head around. And then it's not enough to just tell them, but have them apply it to something that's relevant. And that's the way to really get, again, that relevance motivates them because they go, Oh my gosh, this is improving my skills as a teacher, or, Oh my gosh, talking about the chakras. I have a new insight onto my, how I work, you know, whatever. So, but applying it we'll make, again, it's one of those ways we can keep that motivation so that students stay in the course and don't like drift away. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's so true. I, you know, I can just, I can think of times when I've taken courses that have had a shorter video that I can actually, you know, while I'm drinking coffee in the morning before my day starts that I can actually finish it and get something out of it. And then taking that knowledge and applying it directly to, you know, the subject at hand where it actually makes a difference and you start to see that transformation like you said, it's so motivating. I'm like, I can't wait for the next, you know, tomorrow morning when I have coffee so I can watch the next one and, and and continue. Like that's, yeah, I can, I can totally see, I can totally see how that pulls people in keeps them coming back.
2: There's a really cool, um, um, educational guy named John Keller. I think, I think I'm saying that right, but definitely Keller. And he has a method called the ARCS method. And I I have a blog on this somewhere, so maybe, or or a video, so maybe I'll give that to you. You can throw it in the show notes at some point, but it's about motivation, these four pillars of motivation. And I found this so helpful to me, not just for online courses, but for in-person courses as well, just to keep in mind how we keep students hooked. And ARCS is attention, um, relevance, confidence, and satisfaction. And it's really about like, attention is about, you know, well, it can include a lot of things, but you know, keeping students attention, telling them a personal story, getting people hooked into what's actually going on. Relevance is like, how can I apply this to my real life? Confidence is being like, oh my gosh, I can do this. And so that goes to like creating those small bite-sized pieces, creating assessments that are accessible and really match what they've learned. And then satisfaction again, similar to confidence for me, but satisfaction of like, I can do this, I've accomplished this, I feel good about it. And when we look at different strategies for employing the ARCS method, it just inspires us kind of of how we can make our courses more motivating. Because each one of those pieces will help keep your students engaged and help avoid that whole burnout, you know, slough out kind of experience that so often can happen.
1: Mm, yes, I would love to have that in the show notes. That's that sounds really really valuable, and just those those little mnemonic devices that we can use to remember as we're putting stuff together. Just yes, that's that's wonderful stuff. That's a great resource. Thank you. Yeah. Super super good. Okay, I have a question, and um, hopefully hopefully this is okay. I'm gonna go a little off script, but this came up and I was thinking, you know, what for the, for the teachers out there, the wellness professionals that are listening, maybe they've put a course out already and they've had some of this stuff happen where they, you know, they did just as they were hoping. They put their brain in a vat, threw it out into the ether, said, I'm going to make all this money. Everyone's going to be happy. And the exact opposite happened.
2: How can they save their course? Yeah. Great question. And, and this happened to me too. I mean, we, we all have walked, <laughs> the path to hell that's paved with good intentions. So um, no, I did this too. Like I created this whole massive course, which is how to to create your teacher training. It was like bottom to top, like everything you need to know to create a yoga teacher training, 200 hour, 300 hour, the most efficient way possible and the most specific way possible with the highest educational integrity. So I put it out there and I'm like, great, you know? And then of course no one shows up because you're like, oh, well, it's also a massive course. Like it's, it's big. But one of the things that you can do is that if you've created one of those courses, yay, first of all, give yourself a big pat on the back because it's not easy, right? And then pull back and say like, okay, how could I make this a little bit more accessible or how could I put myself into it? So one of the things that I've done is you can just include your presence just by including your presence in the course and by adding start and end dates you can transform that course into something that may be more appealing to people more accessible to people um and just kind of like more immediate for people so if if i've created this course and i'm like i've got all this great content in there first of all go through and go like okay how would i chunk this into weeks right and probably most of you be able to figure out how to do that because it's probably kind of organized you may say hey What is my real learning objective? What do I really need students to do at the end of this? And this might be a time to trim down, to say, are there things that I can pull out of this in order to more keenly focus on what I really want students to be able to do? right? And then you can ask yourself, are there ways that I could make this more relevant or applicable? Are there ways that I can get them to apply this information? So just a couple little adjustments. And this isn't going to be too hard for you guys, because probably, if anything, you're pulling things out rather than putting things in. Another thing, one thing that you might put in though, are those little multiple choice assessments. Again, keep it simple, but just ways to say, hey, I'm reinforcing your knowledge. I'm just making sure you got the main point that I gave you. And then if you chunk it into weeks, you're able presto, hey, I've got this course, I'm gonna launch it, we're gonna have weekly meetings and you can kind of, you know, really use the material that you already have that might be slightly more refined and leverage that to be, uh, you know, kind of a partially in-person or Zoomed course. So I think, you know, for those of you out there who've done that, we're always refining. We're always improving as we learn more stuff. Me too. You know, even though I learned all this stuff, there's always more. Um, So don't despair. Use what you've got and then just use some of these tools to refine what you've done.
1: Oh, that's so good. That is so good. So if you're listening and you have this course, don't, don't throw away, (laughs) don't put it in the trash can. (laughs) You can save it. And and it's much more, it probably feels a little scary. Like you're like, oh, I failed and no one bought it. I don't know what to do. But as, as Rachel was just saying, it's like, you probably are just going to pull a few few things out organize organize it by weeks and put yourself in a live element there. I mean, that's very virtual.
2: That'll make a, a huge, huge difference. And folks out there who are have their online courses one thing i want to emphasize we touched on this before but i think it's so important is that people are so freaking busy out there in the world and there's so much noise and chatter in their worlds that in order for us to in order for people to sign up we actually have to give them a start date and a deadline otherwise it just will never be they'll never be able to acknowledge that it's a priority there's always going to be stuff unless we give them a start date and give them some boundaries honestly part of what you guys An online course, you could go out there, we could probably learn almost everything just from free YouTube videos, right? (laughs) But the reason that we don't do that is because when we have an online course that's been created for us, one is that it creates boundaries. It creates a space and time that I am going to dedicate to this knowledge specifically. That's part of it. And then the other thing is that I'm buying someone's ability to organize this information and be a credible authority and put it together in a way that I can understand. So that I'm not wasting, like I could go and learn this stuff probably all out in the world from whatever, but it takes me so long to organize that information, to get assessed on it, to get feedback or to know it's accurate, that if I can have a course where my trainer can do that for me, organize it, put it together neatly so that I can understand it and then give me feedback personally. Well, that's like, that's worth its weight in gold. Absolutely.
1: I so agree with that. Like literally everything that we do and everything that we, we know or want to know, is Googleable. Like we, we can find it out on the Googles these days. I mean, yay. And the fact that, you know, as teachers, we have folks that resonate with our message the way that we teach, they may be looking to us to package this kind of content in a way that is most digestible for them and we're actually even though they're having to spend the money versus you know just having to look up the information themselves we're actually saving them time and energy by packaging it for them and holding the space for them to have this transformation that they want to have
2: that's absolutely right yeah so good so good.
1: Okay, so you have this incredible experience and career and build building your business and I would love to know if you could go back at any point and give yourself some advice maybe that would save you like a sleepless night or two, what would it be?
2: <laughs> so many sleepless nights. Oh my gosh. Um I think that probably what I would do. I mean if I could go back and tell myself like just that great mistake be like, Hey, Rach. Right, it's okay. It's not about you telling them everything, you know, which is what you think. It's actually about focusing on what you want them to do. That one piece of advice could have saved me so much work <laughs> so much. And it just clarifies things so much more. And I think I, I would go back and give myself that advice before I tried to create the 200 hour. I mean, I'm glad I have my master's. That's awesome. But seriously, that one, that one little nugget of information can take you a, a pretty good distance.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's so true. It's so true. I think, yeah, we, we just want, we just want to give them everything (laughs) and just simplifying it's, you would save save probably all of us a few sleepless nights for sure. (laughs) That's so generous. (laughs) Thank you. So tell us how can we work with you? What do you got going on that we can be a part of?
2: Yeah, sure. Well, you can always just check out my website. I am at rachelyoga.com. Um, I'm on the Instagrams and the Facebooks and the YouTubes. I've got stuff on YouTube too, that are like, um, Videos for teachers and skills and things like that, but some stuff for educators, which you know you may want to check out. And I'm Rachel Scott Yoga on all those platforms. So connect with me. I also do virtual chats with folks. So I feel like I call it a virtual coffee. I'm like, hit me up for a virtual coffee. And we just like meet for 15 minutes and have a little chat. And sometimes it's just about giving advice or being a little bit of a bounce thought partner. Sometimes it's just about meeting. Um, and sometimes it's about finding out whether or not some of the other things I do could be helpful. Um, I do have some courses coming up. So I have courses for teachers. <laughs> um, I have courses for teachers. I do a big sequencing mentorship. That's a four-month course. That's a big one. Um, I do an art of theming course, but probably most specifically for this crew, I have my how to create an online course, which will be launching in the fall. I run it a couple times a year. I only take six people. I only take six people because I'm not interested. It's not about like, you know, packing it in I because I want to have the bandwidth to work with those six people and give them personalized feedback. So that's one thing I realized is that having the maximum number of students is not necessarily the best learning experience. So for me, I, I pull that in. And so that's starting and you can always access that stuff or see if it's coming up. If, if you've got a course and you really want to get it out of your head and into the world, it's a really good way to create a pragmatic roadmap for that experience. Um, so, yeah. So that's some of the stuff I have, but I love connecting with people. So like hit me up on social media, say hi, introduce yourself. Love to hear from you.
1: Yes. Yes. Oh, that, oh that's so good. We're, I'm going to put links to all of those wonderful things and the, the additional resource you mentioned before in the show notes. So you guys go connect with Rachel. She's just so much fun. I know you can hear it coming through the microphone too. And yeah. she's like, she's so great. So go, if you're interested in making a course, like, This could be your year and let her hold space for you so you can put that thing out into the world
2: yeah don't wait we get scared don't wait just do it do it yes yes i love it okay well this is so much fun thanks again thanks jessica
1: okay were you taking notes because i was (laughs) isn't rachel incredible i learned so much about the pitfalls and the triumphs of creating a really amazing course and starting with the end in mind pretty much is a game changer for everything that I'm thinking about courses. So I hope that you got as much out of this as I did. Go give Rachel a follow over on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook, Rachel Scott Yoga. You can also check out her website, rachelyoga.com. And then I'll put links to her courses in the show notes, including her how to create an online yoga course. that's coming up this fall, how to motivate your students. And she also has a wonderful free webinar on how to create an online course with some great handouts. So definitely grab those links links in the notes. I hope that you enjoyed this as much as I did. Send me a DM on Instagram and let me know what you thought. Have you thought about creating an online course or maybe have you started one and you're thinking about how to pivot and re-roll it out? I'd love to know. Send me a DM on Instagram at jessicacross.co with your thoughts. What did you think of this episode? Let me know. Okay, we'll catch you on the next chat. Take care. Until then, I'm rooting for you. Keep showing up.
0: Thanks for listening to the Marketing Off The Mat podcast and give yourself some gratitude for taking action in your wellness business journey. Please share this episode with someone you know who could use a fresh dose of inspiration. And we'd be thrilled if you would rate, review, and subscribe to Marketing Off The Mat on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to share an idea with Jessica? DM her at jessicacross.co on Instagram to continue the conversation or find out how she can help you take the next right step in your business. Until next time, stay inspired and keep showing up.